Man, all right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts. As I said a little bit earlier, today, if, if today is your first day with us, you haven't missed anything in this series, uh, we're jumping right in. This is our first uh, sermon through the book of Acts. We're starting that uh, just today, and we're probably going to spend majority of the year going through this book, and I just learned to love it. Like, you've got to learn to love it. Like, it's what's going today, and uh, it's such a good book. And, and let me just ask you this question. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but how in the world did there get to be so many Christians in the world? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how, in, how did there get to be so many Christians in the world? It's kind of estimated right now that there's somewhere close to, I don't know, maybe uh, 2 billion Christians in the world today. And that number's kind of inflated. There's, there's a lot of different things going on there. But there's somewhere close to 2 billion Christians in the world, give or take. At least that's what the statistics say. But here's some interesting facts for you to know this morning as we jump into this book of Acts. Right here, we're going to see this probably in the next couple of weeks, that this is right after Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already, you know, he's already resurrected. All the Easter stuff has already happened, and he's standing there with all of his believers, all the followers, all the people that have been with him for his three years of ministry. And at that time, you know how many people there were? How many of you know? How many know how many people there were? It was about 120 people there following Christ. The church, all right, like this is as big as it, as it was at the time. There was 120 people, give or take, in the early church. Oh my goodness, like that's so little compared to where we are now. Now think about it with me for just a second because this is where the book of Acts is just wild. This is where the book of Acts just takes off is that 100 A.D., somewhere close to 100 years estimated after Jesus has has already been resurrected, after he's already ascended to the Father, in the year of 100 A.D., there's somewhere close to 25,000 Christians. So in just 60, 70, 80 years, it has grown from 120 to 25,000. It's crazy, right? Now listen to this stat. This one's going to blow your mind. Just 200 years later, close to somewhere around 300, 310 A.D., about 300 years after it's estimated that Jesus Christ has ascended to the Father, there was somewhere close to 20 million Christians. 20 million Christians. Now, if you're doing the math, I- I'm not good at math. I've never been good at math. But that's a lot, right? Like, that is a lot. That's a, it's 120 just a hundred years later, has gone to 25,000. And just 200 years after that, so doubling the amount of years, you've gone to, two, uh, to 20 million. Some of you have asked, why in the world are we starting the book of Acts? We're starting the book of Acts because I want to know the recipe. I want to know, what does it take? How do we get there? How do we get to see... This number, there's, there's a word for this, there's a, there's a word that these people use, there's a word going on in other, other countries and around the world right now, it's called movement. This is a movement of God's Spirit where the church is just not adding people to the fold, they're multiplying people to the fold. It is multiplicative in the way that it operates. Now here's something else that, that might fascinate you. Think about this with me for just a second. They've gone to 20 million followers in the year 310. They had no buildings. 
They had no buildings. Like there wasn't the big kids center down the hall with the, with the big slide and eating popsicles or anything like that. They didn't have that. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you've seen some of the large churches in, in our country and in our, they didn't have any of that. Best we know, they didn't even have most of the New Testament. They were writing the New Testament as they went along. They didn't have the, the, the New Testament to refer to and say, hey, look what they did. They were just doing it. They had no formal place of education, no seminaries. Like you couldn't just go to the seminary because there wasn't a seminary. They had no formal education that we know of. It was illegal. It was illegal to be a Christian in this day and age. It was against the law. If they found out that you were a Christian, one of two things would happen. They would either arrest you or they would just kill you. And last but not least, the church, they made it tough for people to join. Like they just didn't take anybody. If you weren't serious about it, if you weren't serious about giving your life to Christ, if you weren't serious about really being a part of the family, if you weren't serious about saying, I- I'm going to be obedient, I give my life to Christ, and these are the markers, these are the indicators of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus, they wouldn't allow you in. They had serious, uh, serious membership processes. And they said, if you're not going to do this, listen, this may not be for you because Christ requires all. Christ requires all. So how in the world did this thing take off? You know what I'm saying? Like how in the world did the early church grow in the magnitude and the way that it did? Uh, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by this book. I'm fascinated by those questions. How in the world could something multiply that fast, just out of control and so that's why we're going through the book of Acts. That's why we're going through the book of Acts. Now, if you don't know uh, much about this, this was written by, we believe, by the Dr. Luke. That should sound familiar to you because Luke is one of the, the primary gospels. Just a few books back, we have Luke's gospel where he's recording all the things that Jesus did. As he walked with Jesus, as he learned from Jesus, he's recording every single thing right there in that book. And he starts out the book of Luke in the same exact way that he starts out the book of Acts, where he says, I'm writing this letter to you, Theophilus. So this is a letter, but this letter is a little bit different because Christ is already gone. He's already ascended back into heaven. And so Luke is writing this book to say, this is what you're supposed to do. You see, that's what I love about the Scriptures. You see, God hasn't just told us what to believe. God hasn't told us just about what to know. God's told us what to do, right? God's told us exactly what we need to do in order to follow Him, in order to to know what the church is supposed to be doing. And it's actually what the, the word acts means in the original Greek. Now, don't let that scare you, okay? I don't read Greek. If you put down Greek in front of me, I don't know. I just happened to study this this week, all right? So uh, I'm looking at the, the word acts. What does the word acts mean? It means praxius. It means praxius. So we, 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 this is basically what they did. They put it into practice, so to speak. They were moving. They, all the things that they had learned and all the things that they had heard Jesus say, they were putting into practice. And he's almost saying, this is the recipe that you're supposed to follow in order to be obedient to Christ. So right there in Acts chapter 1, if you got it, say, I'm there. All right, that's where we're going to pick up. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I'm going to name my son that, Theophilus. It's a great name. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to name my son. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now let's just catch up, just to catch up to speed right there. What he's talking about is this is after Jesus is already resurrected. All right, and he spent on the earth about 40 to 50 days after he resurrected. And what is he telling people about? He's telling people about the kingdom of God. You think they believed in the kingdom of God? This man just resurrected from the dead. And he's telling them, here is the kingdom of God. Believe. I'm the king. I'm going back to the Father. And he's appearing to them for, for a total of about 40 to, to 50 days. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And what he's basically saying is that in the former days, John the Baptist, my cousin, as we talked about in the Gospels, we've talked about this John the Baptist, he's baptizing people in order to show people exactly what Christ was going to come and do, but now there's something different that's coming. There's something different, and it's, it's this thing that I've, it's this person, so to speak, that I've been telling you about. The Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. Let me just lay down the foundation for you. I don't know how much studying you've done about the book of Acts. I don't know how much you've heard about it. I don't know how much you've read about it. There's a lot of people that like to dissect it. There's a lot of people that like to break it down and say, well, the whole, you know, Acts is a book about, you know, it's, it's a book about church planting. And, I, and you know, that's what they'll do. They'll, they'll sit down with a lot of church planters. They'll take you through the book of Acts and say, this is what you need to know. This is, this is exactly how they did it. This is a book about church planting. And there's a lot of people that will, will take the book of Acts and say, no, this is about missions. You just need to read the, book of, uh, read the book of Acts and it'll tell you all you need to know about being on mission and about having the right words to say. The book of Acts is about neither. The book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit of God coming down and moving in the lives of men and women who follow Jesus Christ and He changed their lives and He changed the world through them. And so why we're going through the book of Acts is that simple reason. is because we want the same thing. We want the Holy Spirit of God to come down into our lives, to change us, to make us look more like Jesus, to do something incredible in us, but then to also do something incredible through us. The Holy Spirit is what this book is about. And Jesus says that right there. He says, in just a few days... You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come down. And whenever you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to do some incredible things. Imagine with me for just a second, okay? Imagine this. I tell you, this Friday, the Jesus Christ is going to walk into this room. He's going to walk into this room. You're going to be able to touch him. You're going to be able to, like, hug him. You're going to be able to hear his voice, like, physically. Like, he's physically walking in. We're not talking about some mystical-type experience or anything like the Jesus Christ. You get to smell him. I've always wondered what Jesus smelled like. Probably like Old Spice or something like that. Like you get Jesus in the flesh, so to speak. He's going to be here. How packed do you think this room would be? How packed do you, like we would pack this place out. Like there would be thousands and thousands of people. If Jesus Christ in the flesh, like you would cancel all your plans. Like you would cancel all your dinner reservations. You would cancel 
any like family gathering, any work thing that you had going on, you would literally be here. You would be here in the presence to say, I want to see Jesus. Like, I'll get up for that. I want to go and see Jesus Christ in the flesh. I want to touch him. If I told you that Jesus Christ lived on this earth physically, we would probably say things, man, if, if Jesus was here, it probably wouldn't be this hard. If Jesus was here, I'd I just run to him and tell him all my problems. I'd tell him all my anxieties. It wouldn't be the same. If Jesus was here, I would have no fear. If Jesus was here, I, I'd spend all my time. I might even quit my job and, and go around with him and follow him. I, I'd, be a part of, I'd be a part of his group. I'd be one of the disciples. If Jesus was here, life would just be so much easier. There wouldn't be so much darkness. There wouldn't be so much drug activity, gang violence. There wouldn't be so much brokenness in our world. If just Jesus could just be here in the flesh, it would change my life forever. I'd never be afraid again. You know there's a problem with that, right? You know what the problem with that is? Jesus said in the book of John, he said, it's better it's to your advantage that I'm gone. Because when I'm gone, I will send my spirit to you. And my spirit is going to live within you. And my spirit is going to be your counselor. And my spirit will never leave you. He said, it is to your advantage that I'm gone. Why don't we feel that? Why don't we feel that this morning? I just, I just want to tell you, if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've committed your life to Him and you've walked through a, a process of baptism and you are actively uh, pursuing Jesus in a relationship with Him, you have been given His Spirit. And Jesus says, it's better for you to have my Spirit than it is for me to be here in person. Let's look at that just for, for just a second. Turn, turn to the book of John. It's just a few pages over John 14. John 14, that's where we'll be camping out today for the most of our time. John 14. We'll be picking up in verse 15. When you're there, say, I'm there. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper, another helper, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Whenever Jesus is talking right here about another helper, he's referencing the Holy Spirit. He's referencing this, uh, he, he's referencing the, this helper, this Spirit of God, so to speak. This Spirit of God that we see even in the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter 1 where God is there in the, in the presence. He says, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. And it says that the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. He's referencing the Trinity. He's referencing the Trinity, and if you are not familiar with the Trinity, the Trinity is a, is a basic idea that we believe that God is three persons in one. That He's three persons, but He's the same God. That He's God the Father, that we see in creation that He's God the Father over Jesus Christ, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, they're all the same God. They're the same person. But they're just in these different forms 
And this is what we believe is called the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit here, this counselor, this, this helper, he's no lesser. He's no less powerful, no less significant than the other two. You see, we often think about the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of my favorite pastors named Francis Chan, he has a book called uh, Forgotten God. Because he's generally the one that we forget about, right? We read the Old Testament and we talk about, you know, the, the things that the Father God does. We read the New Testament. We read about Jesus and all the work that the Son does. But the Holy Spirit, He's kind of like the forgotten God, the one that we don't pay much attention to, the one that we don't really even know what He does. Jesus says that this Spirit, this Spirit of God, He's going to come and He's going to be a counselor or a helper to you. Do you ever think about it like that? Man, that the Holy Spirit's been given for my advantage. That the Holy Spirit has been given to help me. What has He been given to help me with? We're, we're going to look at that in just a second. But He says right here that the Spirit, I'm giving, to, I'm giving Him to you and He's your helper to be with you forever. So this Holy Spirit, He's eternal. Like He's lived forever. He was there in the beginning. He's going to be with us there in the end. And one of the things that we don't often think about is the same power that God had in the very beginning to create the heavens and the earth. The same power that was represented there. The same power that was represented in Jesus Christ on the cross is the same power that is given to the Holy Spirit represented in our lives. Come on now, that's good. The same power that you see all throughout the Scripture is represented in the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Like that's some power, right? The same power that was used to create the universe and the world, the same power that was given on the cross, that mystery to cover all of your sins, past, present, and future, is given in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to change you. It's been given to you. But he goes on from there. He says, not only that, he says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. He says, you know him for he dwells with you. But what are those last few words there? Not only does he dwell with you, but he dwells in you. The spirit of God dwells in you. And if you don't take anything else away from today, I want you to take just that. That God lives in you. God lives in you. Man, that's powerful. That's so good. The Spirit, it's a person. The Spirit is a person. You know, I, I was probably a, a pretty young boy and growing up in church, and I was one of those kids that never really missed church, you know, and uh, never really missed. And my granddad was a Sunday school teacher, and I just remember, like, going to, the, you know, going to church, and they're starting to teach me about the Trinity and stuff like that. Whenever they started bringing up the word the Holy Ghost, like, that just scared me, all right? Like, am I the only one? Like, that just scared me to death whenever they were talking about this Holy Ghost that was going to be around you and live within you and stuff like that, man. Uh, it scared me to death until I got a little bit older and I realized, no, 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 this, this, this spirit, he's not, he's not like a ghost or anything like that. He's a, he's a person that we're supposed to have a relationship with. He's a person that we're supposed to have a relationship with. He's not this tool to be used. He's not a tool in a tool belt. Right? He's not the tesseract. He's not a weapon that we just summon and use. He's not Santa Claus or anything like that that just answers all your, all your questions and gives you everything that you want. Like, you know those people like, who never call upon God, but they call upon the Holy Spirit all the time? 
That's not really the way that it works. It's not really like this, I got this big problem, I'm about to enter into darkness, let me get the Holy Spirit ready, and then I'll just use the power of the Holy Spirit for all my problems, all my anxieties, moving into darkness and stuff like that. That's not really the way that it works. The Spirit lives within you, and you have a relationship with Him, and He changes your life, and He transforms you, and He does the work through you. You see, there's a difference as Christians... I'm myself, I'm really bad about this. I get mixed up in the difference between being and doing. Being and doing. Being and doing. Doing. I, 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 I just want to spend all my time doing things for God, where I'm spending all my time working for God, sharing, uh, sharing the love of Christ with people, reading my Bible, praying, all those types of things that I miss out on this one big a universal thing in the Scriptures and that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us is that, that, that simple word, just be. Just be. Whenever I read those words right there where Jesus says, because it neither sees Him or knows Him, you know Him for He dwells with you and He will be in you. Sometimes that's all that God's asking us to do is just to sit in silence. I even know, I, I know this morning that it was awkward whenever we did it for just a few minutes, uh, a few minutes ago and just silence where it's just, we're just sitting there and it's awkward and there's a lot of emotions and, and we're looking around and there's stuff going on. Sometimes that is the best thing that you can do for your soul. It's just to have no phone, to have no kids running around, to have no distraction, to have the TV turned off, to even have the music turned off, just sitting there alone with God and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and allow you just to be and allow you to rest because Jesus says those two words right there, if he was just with us or if he was just dwelling with us, it would be all about what we're going to go and do out there. But whenever he says that, I want him to dwell in you, what he's talking about there is I, I want him to be in your life in your heart, in your mind, allowing you to rest, allowing you to, to be consumed with Him. So I'm going to ask you this morning, how's your relationship with the Holy Spirit that lives within you? How is your relationship with that Spirit of God that lives within you? Is He crying out to you today? Is He crying out just begging you for silence? Is he crying out to you this morning just begging you to stop with that same thing that you've been doing over and over and over and over again? The Spirit of God that lives within you, that's been given to you, that's, that, that that's lives within your heart and within your soul, that's changed you forever, what is he speaking to you this morning? Is he asking you to do something? I don't know. Is he asking you to stop? With that same one vice, that same sin, it's got you over and over and over and over again. The same worries and the same anxieties that you've had for years. I think the Spirit's calling us to do something different. Because you see, if we've been given a spirit of something, then we should look differently, right? If I said, if I said last night, that this supernatural being came down from heaven. This supernatural being last night, he came down from heaven. And he gave me the gift of playing basketball. What would you say? 
Some supernatural spirit came down last night. He gave me a gift to play basketball. Now, I can't play basketball. I've never been able to play basketball. I'm too short, and I'm too slow, and I can't jump high. I can't shoot. I can't. Really, all the DNA and all the makeup that makes a good basketball player, I have the exact opposite. Never been good at it. But if I said that a spirit came down last night and gave me the gift to play basketball, you would be asking me questions like, okay, let me see you play, right? Can you jump? I'm not going to jump for you now. I'd probably fall off the stage. You'd probably be asking, can you run? Let me see you run. Can you shoot better? Can you rebound better? Can you really do anything at all better? You've, given, given, you've been given this spirit, this gift to play basketball. What's different about you? What's better about you? And that didn't really happen, so don't challenge me to a pickup game later on. But here's my question to us. Jesus says, I'm going to send my counselor. I'm going to send my helper. He's going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. Shouldn't our lives look a little bit differently? What exactly is different about us? What exactly is different about our nature? Because we've been given this spirit, this gift, that's going to make us different. What, what is that supposed to be? Are you, are you tracking with me this morning? You understand exactly where I'm going with this? If we've been given the spirit of God, something about our lives changes. Something about our lives is, is different. Our makeup, our person, our abilities, it's different. Let's look and see exactly what that is. Verse 18. Jesus says, I, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. That's good news for us this morning. Some of us... We've been left in this life and we've been abandoned in this life. We've had friends break up. We've had family break up. Relationships that break up. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. But I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to be with you. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whomever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. You see, Jesus, and he gives us this spirit, and this spirit testifies that we are his. This spirit is almost like this, it's like this covenant that God has given us. He's, I'm giving you my spirit who's never going to leave you, who's never going to forsake you, and the spirit is going to work in your life and give you the ability to now follow after me. It's kind of this confirmation, so to speak. If we have the Holy Spirit, it confirms that we are his children. It confirms that we have not been left. If we've been given the Holy Spirit, it gives us the ability to keep His commandments. Where Jesus says right there, He says, whoever, keep my, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. He's not saying that if you do these works, then I will know that you love me. But He's saying, 
I know that you love me because I've given you my spirit, and now because I've given you my spirit, you have the ability to keep my commandments. You have the ability to do what my word says. You have the ability to be obedient. That's what Jesus is saying right there. And so the Holy Spirit, he confirms that we are his. He testifies that, that we are his. And he, he, he's like this, this covenant that we've been bound together with Christ in. In essence, the Spirit makes us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus. Since you've been following after Christ, since the day that you said, I I follow Jesus and now I have a relationship with Him, does your life look differently? If so, how? What looks different about you today than before you came to Christ? Because if you don't have this gift of the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the Holy Spirit there living within you, you don't have the ability to keep His commands. You don't have the ability to love Christ. You're still in the flesh. You're still broken. You still have the same anxieties. You still have the same doubts. You still have the same struggles. But if His Spirit lives within you, then it changes you. So how does your life look differently because this Spirit of God lives within you? Then he goes on, verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, says he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He said that the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit teaches us all things. The Spirit brings to remembrance our, our, He brings our minds to remembrance on the things of Christ. In essence, the Spirit teaches us about Jesus. Teaches us the deeper details about who Christ is. About the nature of Christ. This is what the Spirit is given to us for, to bring to our minds the remembrance of Christ. Listen, uh, just a couple months ago, we went through this series called um, The Armor of God, where we talked about how the armor of God is given to us so that we might battle against our enemy. And what does our enemy attack us with? Our enemy attacks us with lies, right? The enemy attacks us with lies. He sends the flaming arrows of lies. He sends the flaming arrows of anxiety, of doubt, of brokenness, of sin. He's sending all that at you right now as we speak. He's shooting it with you. He wants to attack you. Wants to cause you to stumble. Wants you to cause you to sin. Wants to cause you to to, to be angry with the Lord. to, To run away from the Lord. That's what our enemy is doing to us right now. What we said in that series through the armor of God is that we've been given the Spirit, a Spirit of truth, and the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit does is He recalls our minds to what is true. He recalls our minds to what is right, to what God says about us so that we might fight off all these temptations, all these anxieties, all of these lies. That's exactly what Jesus says here. I'm going to give my Spirit to you. In in verse 25, verse 26, He says, my spirit is going to bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And those moments, 
when you're down on yourself and you feel like nobody's there, when even whenever you feel like God has abandoned you, those words should ring true in your mind that the Spirit has called to you to remind you of the things that Jesus has said about himself and about what Jesus has said about you. That is good. What Jesus has said is faithful. What Jesus has said is true. And in those moments, we have to allow the Spirit to speak to us more than we allow ourselves and our brokenness and our enemy to speak to us. Because trust me, he's speaking. He wants you to fall. He wants you to sin. He wants you to be caught up in the middle of lies. And in that moment, you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to help you combat that. So this morning, I want to ask you that question one more time. If the Spirit of God lives within you, how does our life look differently? If the Spirit of God looks, if it's in you and He's your counselor, He's speaking truth to you, the Son of God uh, has promised you that this Spirit is going to come within you. And He's saying that right here in the book of Acts. He says that to the church. He says, in just a few days, my Holy Spirit is going to come to you and you're going to be baptized with this Holy Spirit. And that's how we see the movement. We see a movement because men and women, just like me and you, were given the Spirit of God who changed them, who came into their lives, and they were a different group of people. There was something about their nature. There was something, something different, something special, something particular. They were a special group of people because the Spirit of God came down. And we're going to study that next week, how the Spirit comes down into the room and the church just expands and it takes off. All because they've been given a counselor. All because the Spirit of God now lives within them. What if that happened to us? What would that look like? What if there was something so special about us? What, what, if, what if just a handful of us went to Arby's after church today? You know what I'm saying? Like, I love some roast beef. Like, what if just a handful of us went to church and went out after church for lunch and the people around us said there's something different about that group of people right there? And I'm not talking about your typical Sunday crowd, you know, who's got the khakis and, you know, they're using the church coupons and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about what if they truly sensed that the Spirit of God was among them? What if our neighbors knew that in our get-togethers, in our parties, in our missional communities, like I don't know what's going on over there in that house, but I know that there's something different about that group of people. What would happen to our city? What would happen to our state, what would happen to our country, what would happen to our world if there was something particular about God's people? That's what happened here in the book of Acts. And it's my prayer that that's what happens to us. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me today? Lord, as we come here today, Lord, and We think about the power of the Holy Spirit that's mentioned here in the book of Acts. We think about the Spirit that we're just getting ready to see in, in just a few weeks, how the Spirit comes down. Lord, in our history, in our world, is changed upside down forever. There's something contagious about it. 
a movement takes place. And a movement doesn't just take place, God, outside of the church, but the church is created and everything good that you do in the world, it starts through the church. But before you do something through us, God, you're going to do something in us. You're going to clear our hearts and our minds. You're going to recall truth to us. You're going to get rid of the brokenness, rid of the shame, rid of the anxieties. You're going to recall things to our mind, recall truth to our mind. And change us. God, that's my prayer for this church. One that what we see in Acts 1, 2, and throughout the rest of the book is exactly what happens here. We love you, Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. This morning, if all this sounds pretty fresh to you and all this sounds really good, but you've never started a relationship with Jesus then you don't need to do anything else. You don't need to worry about anything else. But today, your call is to to start a relationship with Jesus, maybe for the very first time. This Holy Spirit that I've been talking, this counselor that I've been talking about, you don't have him. Because we receive the Spirit out of a spirit of faith that we have in who Christ is and who Christ says that he is. And the fact that he came down to earth, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he resurrected. And now we make him king of our lives. If you've never made Jesus the king of your life, then forget about everything that I've said today. That is your first step. So if you need a pastor to speak with, I'll be in the back of the room. If you need anybody to pray with, I'll be back there. My wife will be back there. We're just... If you just need anybody to pray or talk with, we're there to do that. I hope that you would just be obedient to whatever God's calling you to this morning.